Good morning. Welcome to Summit Crossing. Um, my name is Joey. I'm one of the elders here, and I uh, am uh, excited always to have the opportunity to stand before uh, the people of God with the Word of God uh, so that it can be proclaimed in the hopes that the Spirit will change our hearts. Um, and that's what the Spirit does with the Word. And so we're going to be looking this morning, as you've already heard in the announcement, uh, at the wisdom of Proverbs for the Christian family. And uh, what we've been doing is we've been going through the book of Proverbs, sort of, kind of, right? We've been taking topics and then looking at the book of Proverbs uh, and topically understanding what Proverbs has to say to help us in our Christian walk uh, in those particular topics. Today, the topic is family. Uh, it's a good time to be talking about family because we're entering into the holiday seasons and this week, of course, coming up is, is Thanksgiving, lots of family activity typically, and uh, this time of year as well, one of the things that's traditional has been in the past in my family and maybe in yours as well is a lot of people tend to take family photos uh, getting ready for Christmas. I don't know why, maybe it's the fall leaves and colors, even though we didn't really get much of that this year. Um, <clears throat> they all turned brown really fast this year at my house. I don't know if that happened at yours. But we take family photos uh, this time of year, uh, typically. And, of course, we try to capture that picturesque family as well, right? Uh, so that maybe we can put it on a Christmas card or these days maybe on Facebook or something like that and wish everyone a Merry Christmas with our picturesque family. Um, I'm glad that we think that way uh, because I'm going to challenge you this morning from uh, the book of Proverbs and, and, as you've heard, the book of Ephesians as well, to strive as Christians to have, yes, a picturesque family. Uh, I think the Bible calls us as Christians to strive for a picturesque family. And I'm going to try to explain that. And, and Paul gives us five principles. I think I see those same five principles in the book of Proverbs. And I'll be honest with you, in trying to study the book of Proverbs this way has been difficult. Uh, Jamie and I were talking about it even this morning. Uh, it's, it's difficult to think, okay, what does Proverbs have to say about family? Because there's no chapter that you can go to, right, uh, and say, okay, this is what Proverbs says. It's, it's all over. And so I've read the book of Proverbs many, many, many times and trying to just categorize different verses into uh, family and then what's it trying to say about family and categories about family. And I've done it one way, and then I look at it and it's like, I really like those categories, and so I really think we need to be going with these categories, and I go, but now I have to read the whole book again to figure out what verses go in those categories, right? Uh, and, and I've done that several times, and what I, what I finally uh, landed on uh, is that I was trying to determine what the message needed to be and find the Proverbs saying what I wanted to say. And that is so backwards. It's so backwards. And I was really beating myself up for that in the last two weeks uh, as this date was getting closer uh, because I don't preach that way. I preach from a text and just tell you what the text has to say, not what I have to say. Because what I have to say is not worth hearing. And so I just started thinking, okay, what does the Bible say about family? And I come up with five categories about what the Bible says about family, and that is husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Parents, discipline your children. Parents, instruct your children. 
And, and those five categories began to sound very familiar to me, and they may sound very familiar to you as well. Because Paul drew out these very same five principles for the Christian family in Ephesians. And there he directly tied family relationships to a picture of the gospel and the church's relationship with Jesus, where his self-sacrificing, loving kindness atones for our iniquities. We, in turn, selflessly submit to his leadership, obey and honor him, and respond repentantly to his discipline because we listen to and love his instruction. And so Paul gives us in Ephesians those principles that we should, husbands, love your wives, wives, submit to your husbands, children, obey your parents, and parents, discipline and instruct your children because it's a picture of the gospel and the church's relationship to Jesus and our individual Christian relationships with our Lord as well. Jesus loves us and atoned for our sin. And so we willingly submit to Him. And we willingly obey and honor Him as He, yes, disciplines us and instructs us. And so I want to call you this morning to strive as Christians for that picturesque family. But not necessarily the picturesque family that you think of on your Christmas card or on Facebook, but rather the picturesque family that can display to the world a glorious image of the gospel and of your relationship with Christ and of the church's relationship with Christ as well. This ought to be our hope as Christian families. Now, you may be here this morning and you're saying, but I don't have a Christian family. And I want to challenge you as well. I know you may not have a biological Christian family, but let me be very clear. that if you have trusted in Jesus Christ for the atonement of your sin as well, that His love atones for your sin through His sacrifice on the cross, then you have been in, adopted into the glorious family of God. And the church is your family. And these same five principles apply because what Paul is really talking about is the church, not biology. And so we welcome you into the family of God and ask you to listen to this illustration of the picture of family, of how we ought to live in the context of the church as we display the gospel. And so we're just going to take them one at a time as five principles for the Christian family. Husbands, love your wives. Come straight from the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself with splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And so Jesus' love for the church was a self-sacrificing love, and through his death he atoned for the sin of the church, so that he might give himself the gift of 
a lamb without spot. And so husbands, this is the example for you. Jesus' love for the church is the example for you in how you ought love your wife. Why? Not because that's the right way to love your wife and you have to beat yourself down and try to be that. No. The way that you love your wife is the example in Jesus because what you're displaying in the way you love your wife is the way Jesus loves the church. You see, Jesus is not just exemplary. We sometimes try to put him in that way, right? We try, to, we try to think of Jesus as the perfect man only and exemplary behavior, and then we try to mimic that. That's not what Paul's getting at here. What Paul is saying is our responsibility in, as husbands is to display the picturesque glory of Christ's love for the church. And so husbands, love your wives. And that's all over the place in Proverbs. I can't go to all of them, but we'll go to a few. Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 and 11. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. Did you hear that, husbands? The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. Husbands. We are called as Christians to see our wives as precious jewels. We'll hear later, as gifts of the Lord. And so I call you, I challenge you. Yes, the Word of God calls you to it as Christian men. Understand as you look at your wife on a daily basis, understand that she is precious and treat her appropriately. This is the wisdom of Proverbs for the Christian family. Treat your wives as if they are precious jewels. For they are. The next piece is that we ought to, as husbands, trust our wives. This means that they have a say. Husbands, your wives have a say. They get to be engaged in the decision-making in the family. They get to offer ideas, opinions, and direction. It is not a situation in the family where the husband rules. We'll talk about it in a moment. It's a husband-wife complementary working together, and she gets a say, and the loving husband trusts his wife, hears her, wants to hear her, wants to know her input in the family decisions. And this is what brings no lack of gain in the family, as the wisdom of Proverbs shares. This is what love looks like, right? Love involves trust. And so I call you husbands, love her like precious jewels and trust her as she provides input. Second, in, in Proverbs 18, verse 22, he who finds a wife, finds a good thing, and obtains favor from the Lord. Husbands, you need to understand that if you have a wife, she is a favorable gift of the Lord. God is the giver of 
all good things. And we must, as husbands, recognize that our wives are gifts of God by His good grace. And so I call you husbands to understand that and treat your wives in accordance with the way in which you treat gifts from the Lord. For that's what our wives are. Why? Because how do you treat your salvation? Remember, Paul has said that we are to love the wife as Christ loves the church, self-sacrificingly and by grace, we have received the gift of the Lord, which is salvation. And we do not take that salvation for granted. We do not trample on that salvation as if it is worthless. No, we, we are brought to worship because of our salvation. We understand the deep value of our salvation because we understand the cost of that salvation in the life of Jesus Christ our Lord. And we understand that it is a gift of the Lord. And so the picture you are to display, husbands, is the value of salvation and the, and the, and the gift of salvation by grace as you love your wife, trust your wife, and treat her as a good gift of the Lord. We're told to rejoice in the wife in Proverbs 5.18. We're going to fly through Proverbs, right? Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Simple enough. We're called again to rejoice in our wives' husbands. We're also called husbands, and this one's difficult for us. And so I pray that by the power of the Spirit, some of us have a hard time expressing emotion. I pray by the power of the Spirit, the Word of God will change that in you because the Word of God in Proverbs 31, verse 28, calls us to verbally express your love as husbands. It says, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Listen, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Wives, how many of you would love to hear your husbands say that? Probably all of you. Husbands, I don't know why our culture teaches us that we can't be emotional. And you're hearing it from the least emotional one in the room, probably. I have a very low EQ, I've been told, right? Emotional quotient, right? Um, but my wife taught me, I'll go ahead and say it, in my family growing up, we didn't say things like, I love you. That was just weird and awkward. My wife, very early, helped me learn the importance of verbal expression of love. And now, in my family as the father and, and husband, we are very open in expressing our love for one another in many ways, not just in the ways I love you, but expressing our appreciation for different aspects of personality. Like here, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. And so husbands, I challenge you that in the power of the Spirit, you would cry out to God to teach you how to biblically express your love for your wife. Why? 
because Jesus has expressed his love for you in his death. We're to be that picture, the expression of love, so that all the world can see the power of the gospel. And then finally, there's many, many, many other things, but for husbands, finally, in Proverbs 16, verse 6, we're basically told not to keep a record of wrongs, right? It says, by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Husbands, you're to put on the model, the picture to all of the world as the way you treat your wife that your loving kindness, that your faithfulness would forgive any wrongdoing in the context of family. I know too many husbands that talk very negatively about their wives at work. You probably heard it too. Have all of these negative things about their wives. They never let them do this. They won't let me do that. And, and I have all of these you know, man cave things I'd like to buy, but my wife, my wife, my wife. List of so-called wrongs. Husbands, I urge you, do not participate in the denigration of your wives, but rather... Show to the world the depth of your love for her so that even when you're wronged, forgiveness will be on display as a picture of the beauty of the gospel in the love of Christ as he has shown it to his church. The husband who loves his wife in this way displays a picture of the love Jesus has for the church. which makes the second principle possible. You may have noticed that in my list of principles, um, I was unfaithful to Paul's ordering, right? I wanted to make sure we established the loving husband before we talked about the submissive wife. And husbands, that's important. Because only in the context of the loving husband is the second principle possible, which Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 gives us. Wives... Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Before we say anything else, let's remind ourselves I've already established that the husband must be loving to his wife. In situations where that is not true, we have already broken down the, the context of the Christian family and we have to call upon God's good grace for us to understand particular situations and work through them in accordance with biblical principle in other ways. But in the context of the Christian family, and, and in those areas, I, I pray that, again, as I said at the beginning, you will find Loving family in the context of the family of God, where we can live out these principles, because that's really what Paul is talking about. Remember that. But in this context of the picture of the family, as it provides a picture of the gospel, wives are to submit themselves to their husbands. I know that's difficult language in the 21st century. It was difficult language in the 20th. 
right? It's probably difficult language all along. Why is it difficult language? Because we as people, not we as women, but we as humans, don't like submissing submitting ourselves to anything or anyone. We as humans, in our natures, don't like that language and don't like the idea and don't like the concept of being submitted to another. But wives, I ask you to understand this beautiful picturesque image that Paul is calling us to as we display the truth of the gospel. He's not trying to beat women down. No. He's asking you to play a proper role in complementary roles in the family so that the church's submission to Christ can be on display. Our whole society is struggling with the idea of submitting to authorities, from police officer authority to school officials authority to the authority that that speed limit sign has over my vehicle. Actually, not my vehicle, but over me. But I like to think it's the vehicle's problem. We don't like to submit ourselves to authority. And so, wives, I, I plead with you in accordance with Paul's words, in accordance with Proverbs' teachings, put on display the glorious image of the church's submission to Christ. And it's seen in Proverbs. Now, the wife is equal to the husband in all ways. Let me say that. The wife is equal image bearer of God. And so equal in value, equal in worth, equal in all ways. But the Scriptures call us to particular roles that we have in society, in the family, and certainly in displaying a picture of the gospel to the world. And so Proverbs chapter 21, verse 19, first says it negatively. I really struggled on whether or not I should even use this. Um, Brooke approved, so I went ahead. (laughs) It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful wife or woman. Don't amen that. (laughs) But it is the Scripture's. And this is just the Proverbs way of saying that wives submit to your husbands. I'm going to take that off the screen. (laughs) We laugh. And we can laugh because we're in Christian family with one another and and we can uh, be jovial. But the truth is, this is the Word of God. We say that after the Scripture reading, right? We read the Scripture for that morning and we say this is the Word of God. And the reason we say this is the Word of God is because we're reminding ourselves that this is not man's idea. This is God's ideas. And so we what? Submit ourselves. And that's hard. But what the Proverbs are really getting at here is that the wife is called to submit to the husband. And when that doesn't happen, there is quarreling in the household, right? And, and we know, we all know the idea that, that a two-headed beast, right, is the way we've said it in our, in our culture, a two-headed beast, or when you have 
two people in charge of an organization or, or two people in charge of a team, things don't go well. There's infighting and struggle. And that's what happens in the family. When the wife is not playing the role of, of displaying the picture of what it looks like to submit to the Father, that is, our Heavenly Father, playing the role of displaying the image of the church submitting to its head, Christ. When the wife is not playing that role, there's quarreling in the household. And there's never agreement. There's always disagreement. And we can never come to a decision together. And one is always upset with the other. We go to our separate rooms. We don't talk to each other. It gets quiet. And so I pray that by the power of God at work in the gospel in your family, that quarrelsome would disappear in the image of submission so that the gospel be, be put on display as the church submits to its head, Jesus Christ. Now thankfully, Proverbs doesn't only give us that picture in the negative, right? Uh, the next thing is there's a comparison from the negative to the positive in Proverbs 19, verse 13. Proverbs uh, 19, 13, a foolish son is ruin to his father, and a wife's quarreling, there it is again, right, is a continual dripping of rain. House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. And so we have this comparison, right, of the quarrelsome wife. And when we say quarrelsome wife, what we mean is really a wife who is resistant to this image and her role of being submissive to the head that is Christ. It's a constant dripping of rain. But the prudent wife, the wise wife, the wife who understands the wisdom of the design of family which God has provided and can look forward and understand the, the, the consequences and the benefits of the design for family. That's what prudence means. That brings peace and a glorious picture that the world can see of the gospel. And then finally, in Proverbs, it's also uh, presented in a positive manner, clearly. In Proverbs 11, verse 16, a gracious woman gets honor. And the ESV says a violent man gets riches. But the word violent is really strong man. Um, different translations handle it differently. A gracious woman, and, and you've all heard the, the old adage, right, that behind every good man there is a great woman, right? Behind every good man there is a great woman. That's what this proverb means. A gracious woman gets honor, and a strong man gets riches. And so we have these 
principles clearly displayed, I think, in the Proverbs that where we as believers are being called to live in a, court, in a way in which wives are truly submissive to the husbands, not in a way where they don't have a voice, because remember, the husband trusts his wife. Not in a way in which they are beat down, right? No, the husband loves his wife but rather in a way in which the church's submission to Christ, its head, is put on picturesque display for all the world to see the beauty of the gospel. And so the wife who submits to her loving husband in this way displays a picture of the church's submission to Christ. The wife's submission, however, is not a picture of obedience. That's the role of children. Husbands, don't treat your wives like children. That's the wrong role for her. She is precious to be loved as Christ loves the church. She's to be trusted and listened to and honored. She is gracious. Children are the ones to put on display for all the world to see a picturesque image of obedience. That is, the church's obedience to Christ. The individual's obedience to the Word of God is to be displayed in children's obedience to parents. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Simply put, children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you. And that you may live long in the land. It's a beautiful uh, recalling of the Old Testament's Ten Commandments, right? And Paul reminds us that this is the first of the Ten Commandments that has with it a promise. That it may go well with you and you would live long in the land. Funny thing is, is Proverbs says similar things. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 10, yet again, we see the same categories consistent in the Old and New Testaments. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. Isn't the consistency of the Word of God just beautiful? Hear, O son, my words, that the years of your life Maybe many. Consistent with the Old Testament and now consistent again with Paul's teachings in Ephesians. But I want you to know, children that are here with me, that parents don't give you rules and parents don't give you principles and parents don't give you guardrails and do's and don'ts just because they want to limit how much fun you get to have. I know it feels that way. I know sometimes as children we think our parents don't understand and they just don't want me to have fun, like I see other people having fun. Young people, I want you to understand that first, your role as Christian children is to put on this beautiful display to the world that they may see what it looks like to obey Christ. And that they may see the beautiful benefits of obeying Christ. Now you may be here and you say, but I don't have Christian parents. 
again, I call you to understand that what's really being talked about here is the church's relationship with Jesus. And so as you have been adopted into the family of God, your obedience in the context of the Christian walk puts on display the beautiful image of our obedience to Christ and the benefits thereof. And so I call you to live a life of obedience, not because, because your parents aren't trying to just limit your fun. They, they actually have some wisdom. Now, you may not think that at this age, uh, but they do. They actually have some wisdom. That's the image that Paul is getting at here, that parents have wisdom. In Proverbs chapter 7, we learn that parents have enough wisdom even to kind of see what's coming. Children, sometimes don't, you, you don't fully understand the future prudence and the consequences of actions, but parents have lived a little and they know what's coming. And so we're reminded in Proverbs chapter 7, verse 24 through 27, And now, O son, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. There are other things going, in, going on in the context of the proverb right here, but the principle holds true that Solomon, the father, writing to his son here, right, is saying, I can see what's coming. Don't go that way. I'm giving you a yes, a do, and a don't. And you may think I'm trying to limit how much fun you're having, children, but really the truth is I've lived a little, I've been there, I've done that. Solomon could say, if you're, if you're familiar with the context of this, Solomon could honestly say, I've been here, I've done that. And he's saying, I see what's coming. I know the consequences of the road you're going down. Children, parents know the consequences of the road you're going down. They've seen a lot. They've lived. And so we're called as children, to display a beautiful image to the world of what it looks like for the church to, obe- to be obedient to Christ as children are obedient to parents. Because the beautiful image of that is that as we obey Christ, we do avoid the consequences of sin. And children, as you obey your Christian parents as they provide godly principles for you to follow, or as you obey just the the, the principles of godliness that you are learning in your adopted family, the church, you put on display the beautiful benefits that God has in store for those who follow Him. And the beautiful benefits He has in store for His church as we submit to Him and then obey. When are children supposed to do this? You know, I I have one that's 20. For some reason, in America, we have this magical age of 18, right? But let me just put it the other way. I'm 45, and I, I really don't think sometimes my parents 
have that much say anymore. The good thing is, is by the time I've reached 45, I can look at my parents and see they have a lot more wisdom than I, think, than I used to think they had. And so I'm much more apt to go and seek that wisdom now instead of it having to be thrust upon me. At 20, it had to be thrust upon me because I still didn't get it, no matter what the state says. So when always and all along the way, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20, my son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, I will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is light, and the reproves of discipline are the way of life. Not the way of adolescence, way of life. And so, young adults, children, continue to put on this picturesque display to all the world, so the world can see that even as we grow into adulthood, we glean from the wisdom of our godly parents and we glean from the wisdom we've been provided in our adopted family, the church, and we continue to be obedient to those things even when they're no longer around. For some reason, our culture teaches that in those young 20s, you get to just run wild for some reason. Test all the boundaries. Test the limits. Because parents are no longer around. Find those limits for yourself that is not biblical teaching. Biblical teaching is that children ought to Take those teachings with them along the way and always so that we can continue to display the beautiful image to all the world of what it looks like for the church to be obedient in all of life to Christ its head. Finally, for children, Children are supposed to be obedient and accepting of discipline. Chapter 13, verse 1 in Proverbs. A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Go ahead to Proverbs 15, verse 5 as well. A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. And so, All of these things we get out of Proverbs just remind us again of the five categories again that Paul also lays out for us in Ephesians. That in this one, children just continue to be obedient as you display this beautiful image. And sometimes, yes, parents are going to have to discipline you because, you know, we don't have it figured out and we have to be taught right and wrong. And so parents are going to have to discipline you. And so the Proverbs here are calling you to accept the discipline of your parents. Don't despise that discipline. Understand that the righteous discipline of a Christian parent on a child is a good gift of the Lord to guard us and to guide us in life. And the right discipline of a godly church 
is a good gift of the Lord to help guard believers and to guide believers in the right path of life. And so whether it is your biological family or your adopted family, I cry out to you as young adolescents and young adults to don't despise discipline. I know this is hard, but rejoice in it and see it for what it really is, a good gift of the Lord. Of course, that leads me to the fourth principle. Parents, discipline your children. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, we'll read the first half. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline. And so here, Paul is reminding us that we are to discipline our children as good godly parents, but not in a way that is quick-tempered or with anger. Proverbs 14, verse 17 says the same thing about anger, right? A man of quick temper acts foolishly. And a man of evil devices is hated. So fathers, as you discipline your children, parents, as you discipline your children, you are called by the Word of God to not do so in a quick-tempered manner. I had to learn this as a parent. It was difficult for me. Have you seen the color of my hair? Right? I, I have all my life. I've struggled with some, you know, quick responses, and so I've tried to teach myself to clutch, slow down, self-control by the power of the Spirit, self-control, which is one of those uh, gifts of the Spirit. One way that we do this, in parenting at least, is we put our child in time out, right? (laughs) When I was putting in my young children, when they were child... Laura's here. She's going to learn something that maybe she didn't know. When I put my children in time out or whatever, it wasn't a discipline for them. It was a cooling off for me so that I could properly discipline later rather than out of anger. And so I encourage you fathers, I encourage you mothers, parents, do not discipline a child out of quick-tempered anger, but rather out of godly grace and love and mercy in a way that teaches right from wrong behavior. If cool-off period is needed, like it was for me, then find a way that works for you. But the image that we are providing for the world to see is not an image of an angry and wrathful God who just lashes out at us. No. The image that you as parents in disciplining your children are providing to the world is a just and yes merciful God who accurately and properly disciplines as a way of leading us to righteousness Because he disciplines those whom he loves. So as we discipline our children, love must be on display, not anger. Which is continued in the book of Proverbs, right? In Proverbs chapter 29, verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. That what this means is the child left to himself is the child who gets his way, right? 
The child who gets his way brings shame. And so there has to be discipline. And here it does say rod and reproof, right? I don't know about you, but I did receive the rod as a child. Okay, um, I, I was physically disciplined. Not in a way that was abusive. Not in a way that really hurt. But in a gracious way that taught me right from wrong. And I, I challenge you as parents, put on display the beautiful, gracious glory of God by disciplining in a righteous, merciful way that teaches our children right from wrong. Because when you leave your children to themselves, they bring shame. This is all too often the case, right? Children get their way, way too much in this culture. I can't tell you how many times I've seen parents threaten and threaten and threaten and a child beg and beg and beg and eventually the child knows if he begs long enough the threats go away. When I was uh, 16 I was uh, driving for one of the first times and uh, did something wrong which I will never admit that it was wrong, right? Because the cops are always wrong. But, you know, I, I did something wrong, and um, I received a traffic violation ticket, and I went to my dad, and I told him that this cop was, you know, just being very, very picky, and I didn't really do it, and blah, blah, and I got this ticket, and uh, my dad did not take my side. I think too often we take the side of our children. They come home and they say something about their teacher, and the teacher is the one who's wrong in our minds. We're not teaching our children to respect authority when they're always right and getting their way. You know, my dad didn't even make me pay that ticket. I was like, okay, so you're saying we're going to have to pay it? He said, no, you're not going to pay this ticket. You're going to show up in court. This ticket says you have a court date. And so I did. I showed up in court and had to stand in front of the judge, and the judge looked really confused. My dad was with me, and he looked really confused. Why are you here? Why don't you just pay this ticket? And my dad gave a wink-wink, and the judge was like, oh, you're teaching a lesson. <laughs> and I learned that lesson because I learned that discipline rightly teaches us right from wrong. It corrects us. It brings comfort and delight. Real quickly, 29, 17. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give you delight to your heart. And so I call on you as Christian parents. Rightly discipline as God disciplines us with love. It will bring you comfort and delight. As children strive to display a picture of the church obediently following Christ, parents provide the picture of our loving God disciplining those whom He loves. The final point that I will just gloss over because the whole book of Proverbs is this point is parents instruct your children. Teach them the way of Christ, teach them the way of righteousness. That's what the whole book of Proverbs really is. It's a father instructing his son. And so let us learn that we are to instruct our children in the classic verse. Uh, we won't do Proverbs 1. We'll just go to Proverbs 22, verse 6. The 
classic verse, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Remember, Proverbs are not promises, as we've said. They're principles. And, and what we need to learn from this as parents, we have the, the responsibility to train our children in godliness and in righteousness and in holiness. And if you're not getting that, children, in your biological family, I welcome you to your adopted family where I pray you are receiving good, godly training and instruction in the way you should go in Christianity. At Summit, we call ourselves to know, connect, and live. The live part of that statement is to live out the gospel. And in the context of family is one place you can put that slogan to practice. As Paul has shown us, implementing these five wise principles from Proverbs for the Christian family can clearly be a picturesque display to the world of the relationship between Jesus and his church that results from the gospel. Of course, Paul wasn't merely talking about biological family. He was talking about how we are to live with one another in the family of God. If you have believed that Jesus gave himself up for you and lovingly atoned your sin, then despite the circumstances of your biological family, you have been adopted into the family of God, the church, which is what this is really all about. If you have not trusted that Jesus' loving sacrifice can cleanse you of all sin then I pray that the display of these gospel principles seen in the families around you and within His church will soften your heart to the truth of the gospel such that as it is being proclaimed, you will find its glorious truths so attractive that you cannot help but believe and rejoice in its salvation. And so, husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Parents, discipline and instruct your children. And do this all for the sake of the gospel.